0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to the Mystery to Me podcast.
1: I'm Anya Kane.
2: And I'm Kevin Greenlee.
1: And we love movies and television shows with a whiff of mystery. Mystery to Me will feature us riffing on murder mysteries, film noir, cozy detective stories, police procedurals, psychological thrillers
2: So, Anya, what did we watch?
1: Well, Kevin, we watched The Wild Wild West, season two, episode 12, an episode that, of course, aired on December 2nd, 1966, titled The Night of the Man-Eating House. And let me tell you, folks, this might come as a surprise, but this episode does indeed feature a (laughs) man-eating house. One and an episode of television that will haunt you for the rest of your fucking days.
2: Yes, we we just did uh one of these our podcasts talking about the Wild Wild West. There's no reason to do it again. We watched this episode and you like woke me up in the middle of the night saying, You can't stop thinking about this episode. You need to talk about it. You need to get out of your system. I need
1: to I need to I need to see a therapist just for this. It's sometimes it's like it's like it this episode is like the 60s television equivalent of that meme where it's like a tweet that says, I just came here to have a good time and I feel so attacked right now. That's this episode. It's like, what the fuck am I seeing? But it weaves this mystical, magical spell over you that is like just really bizarrely compelling. So I respect the hell out of this episode.
2: So how, how, how do we begin?
1: I don't, I don't even know. Now that it's come time to talk about it, I feel so overwhelmed. I'm the dog who caught the car. (laughs)
2: Uh, They start out, we've seen so many of these, they kind of blend together. We've
1: been binging Wild Wild West if you wanted to know, you know, a sense of, you know, a a barometer of how our life is going.
2: (laughs) This episode starts out on a note that itself is a bit bizarre. Because Jim and Artie are protagonists, are heroes, are whatever. Uh, They're on a little train, and they're preparing uh, a table, a dinner. A very fancy dinner. They're dressed to the nines, as I believe you pointed out at the time. And uh, one of them brings out... They're dressed to the nines, as I believe you pointed out at the time, and there's like some sort of big dish under a covered plate sitting on the table. And then uh, Jim... West notices that, oh, there's a message on the telegraph, and he goes to where the telegraph machine is, and it's not there. He's like,
1: What?
2: Pray continue from there.
1: And then his partner, Artie, reveals that the telegraph machine is under a golden dinner. Lid plate thing like that they have in fancy restaurants where it's like voila look at your into the serving
2: plate yeah so was is this some sort of prank one of them was playing on the other
1: and they don't expound on it then it immediately cuts to the to the chase of the actual episode so they're 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 starting off trying to get you off your footing because they don't want you to know what the fuck's gonna happen and, and who who's pranking who there I don't know who's pranking who I don't know why it happened I don't know why the writers put this in I don't know why. I, I, I don't understand it at all, but I I respect that they just are living to baffle and upset us at this point.
2: That's like a trademark of the show.
1: The show is like... The show is like the person that... Like, if you are... the You, the watcher, the viewer, are standing there and the show is talking to you, it's like overloading you with a bunch of different grocery bags and then, like... Having you go walk around and do like an obstacle course while holding all of those and then like throwing a pie in your face. It's just trying to, it feels like the show is constantly trying to discombobulate and baffle you. It's
2: too much sometimes. Like you're probably saying to yourself, you're saying, well, all of this fancy food on this train these two guys live on, I guess somebody has to be preparing that. And you know what? We watched an episode the other day. We're not even going to talk about that episode. No. Not even going to mention it. But at the end of it, we abruptly learn that there is a beloved chef who travels on the train with them.
1: Named Mama Angelina. already, I mean, we never, already proposes marriage to her! we
2: have never seen her before.
1: Never will see her again. And, oh, spoiler alert for the end of that episode, but she ends up in possession of the Philosopher's Stone. It's that kind of
2: show, it's folks. It's that kind of show. But But to get back to this one... Uh, the message they receive is they have to go and help a sheriff escort a prisoner somewhere, an escaped prisoner who's been caught. And uh, Artie's like, well, who is who is this prisoner? He says, well, and Jim West says, we know, it. I'll tell you all about him. Just think of Simon Gertie.
1: And we're like, who? <laughs> That's the kind of show this is. So we actually looked it up because we, we enjoy our history. He compares him to Benedict Arnold and and Simon Gertie. so we all now, know.
2: I'm pretty sure I knew who Benedict Arnold was. We
1: all knew who Benedict Arnold was, but we didn't know the Simon Gertie. and we looked him up, and I don't understand why he can. He he just seemed like some sort of cultural liaison between Native American tribes and the English in the in the 18th century. Is that your take? Sure. So, I guess being a Guide and uh, translators seen as some vile crime against uh, the country, but I don't know.
2: So then we cut to, they in the middle of this like swampy forest sort of thing. It's Jim, it's Artie, and it's a sheriff played by the prosecutor from Perry Mason. They're with the prisoner who is wearing some of the worst old age makeup outside of For the Boys. look it up go to YouTube look it up so take it from there
1: (laughs) Uh, at some point
2: we're told we're told this guy is sick he's dying of swamp fever
1: not a good way to go out folks
2: is there such a thing as swamp fever is that just like where you really like swamp thing
1: isn't that (laughs) isn't that just Malaria? Is it? I thought so. Well, why not just say malaria? Well, they don't why have not a, be, Why
2: not be colorful? These are
1: men of action, not men of science.
2: Swamp fever.
1: You're like, Kevin. Kevin's like, what bad thing ever happened to anybody in a swamp?
2: <laughs> I, when I think of swamp fever, I think of like John Travolta wearing like a little swamp outfit dancing.
1: <laughs> uh, Saturday night bayou fever.
2: So we don't know what it is, but he's dying. There's something, there's nothing they can do. Oh, uh, I almost jumped ahead, but, but, uh, they say, oh, why you don't would-? know where this is going. But, uh, Jim says to the sheriff, uh, why don't you take a nap? Cause look, Artie, he's already out like a light. He's taking it easy. He's got nothing on his mind.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And then when I zoom in on the sleeping Artie and the, the, the picture starts getting a little bit wavy and like Artie's is dreaming and we're having we're going to experience Artie's dream. Now, why, why are these, within TV shows, whenever a character has a dream, it's, like, logical, has a clear beginning, middle, and end, and all of that. And, like, when you and I have dreams, they're just chaos. They're just random. They're like, really like, suddenly chaotic. one of us is wearing a, a goat's outfit.
1: I could see that. <sighs> so, I've, I've, I've really crazy dreams. I have dreams that feel like movies. And I dream, like, about stuff that people who aren't me like i have dream like like i'm watching a movie so that's kind of fun
2: so you have a dream where you're watching a movie involving people who aren't you
1: yeah also this is as you know i have i have a, a recurring dream that causes quite a few problems
2: i'll let you uh,
1: no why don't you explain it you do a funny job of explaining it
2: there's nothing funny about it you you often wake up in the middle of the night and start crawling desperately over me because you imagine you've seen a spider and you want to get away from it you want to get me between you and the spider so if the, the spider's deadly venom will kill me while you're being protected are you
1: supposed to be the man are you supposed to be my protector all i have to do is like
2: i have to like the last time this happened i had to physically restrain you because in your desperate flight from this imaginary spider, <laughs> you were almost propelling yourself out of the bed. I had to like hold you with all my strength and tell you it was okay. And then you said, "Oh sure," and then you just rolled over and went back to sleep, <laughs> like diagonally across the bed. So that, that suddenly there's no room for me.
1: So at least Artie's not having those kinds of dreams. Yes, but his dream kicks off in media race conveniently, and features the sheriff and the two Secret Service agents chasing down this uh, Simon Gertie-esque figure.
2: Well, they already have him.
1: They got him. Oh, no. he... Remember, he escapes, and he goes to a graveyard, and he's talking to the grave of his, of somebody. Okay. And he's like, oh, I want to go home. I want to go home. And it's like, okay. And then, the, and then he gets recaptured, and then they go to this creepy house.
2: uh, Yeah, and they say, oh, here's a random house.
1: Let's stay here for the night, even though we were all fine with staying outdoors previously. And, like, is being in a shitty, non-HVAC acclimated house that's not, you know, that's abandoned, is that going to do much better for a swamp fever victim than just staying outside at this point? Wouldn't you think... Why are we kidding ourselves here? This
2: abandoned house is going to be, like, covered with mildew and stains and maybe uh, infested with rats. Spoiler alert.
1: An and ants. Spoiler alert. <laughs> and
2: perhaps even a ghost <laughs> or Spoiler two. Spoiler <laughs> alert. Spoiler alert.
1: But no, I just, I just suddenly it was we're fine camping. uh oh, he has swamp fever. Got to go inside to this shitty, dilapidated mansion. I don't I don't follow the logic, but everyone goes along with it.
2: Everyone goes along with it. Uh, so they they all go in the house. They have some dialogue. Suddenly, doors start slamming shut mysteriously. It's like an evening at our place. <laughs> and and so, you know, Jim West answers everything. Let's just blow something up. And he, like, tries to blow up something in the house. And doesn't work as well as he thinks. And then we begin hearing. I'm, I'm going to let you describe this because you're a lady. Uh,
1: we begin hearing a woman moaning in a way that. I think both Kevin and I thought sounded very sexual. (laughs) Not what we expected from an episode of wild, wild west. Uh, But basically she's moaning, carrying on and everybody in the house is getting, you know, understandably, frankly, pretty freaked out by this.
2: If someone wanders in,
1: it's, it's like, is the house Meg Ryan from when Harry met Sally? I mean, what, what is going on? And they're all like, oh, she's crying. But folks, it doesn't sound like she's crying. I mean, (laughs) sounds like she's having a pretty good time.
2: If we walked into a home and heard that, I think we kind of like look at each other and then discreetly back out. I'd
1: be flattered that the home thought that we were that attractive, but I would, I would not want to be in there for long.
2: My first thought would not be, oh, the home is masturbating. I'd be thinking there's somebody in the house. So I would say, oh, someone this house is really turned on by me. If you think that, that says something really interesting about you. I'm, I'm. You think in, even in
1: seen objects, this...
2: you think even in objects want to get with you?
1: I'm God's gift to houses. <laughs> yeah, and things get. Don't worry, that's not the weird. Things get weirder. Things it just starts piling up weirdness and terrifying crazy shit throughout the evening that just continues i mean it just at one point west is looking down at the prisoner and now and now we find so west ends up in this in the agent scully role and artemis ends up in the agent uh Mulder role because west is like there's no there's obviously someone in the house who's remote controlled all the doors and windows to shut and is making our grenades not work and is furiously masturbating upstairs over an intercom um and and uh gordon is more like uh i don't know if that's happening i think it's ghosts the problem with these kinds of shows is that it always makes the skeptic look like an idiot because it's like no no one's
0: doing that it's 1870 what the fuck and
1: But eventually, Wes comes around and is like, yeah, I think it's ghosts, too. We got to deal with the fucking ghosts.
2: And so at some point early on in the proceedings, uh, the sheriff says, I know what I'll do. I'll go off somewhere by myself. And he does, and he dies.
1: Tell us about how he dies, because this is pretty horrifying. You, you take No, this. you do you, it. You do this. They run up after the sheriff. He's been gone two seconds. He was chasing the prisoner who ran away and has been seemingly getting more and more energy from being in the house after nearly dying of swamp fever. He's looking younger. He's looking fitter. He's running around. And, uh, every time they chase him around, the house is crying ostensibly. And, uh, he runs up after them. And then the two secret service agents come up behind him and they find his dead body slumped in an upstairs hallway, completely drained of blood. And I'm thinking, what am I watching right now? This is like a horror thing. That's not a genre I associate with the Wild Wild West. He's been, this man who is just doing his job, protecting the community, transporting a prisoner, has been drained of his life's blood and is now lying in a crumpled, crinkled mess, complete with garish old man makeup. And it's just, it's awful. And they're just like, what the fuck?
2: And meanwhile, the old man, prisoner, who's on the loose in the house, we see him. He's become young again.
1: He's become young. He's wearing a dashing 1800s, like, frock coat or something. So he's looking old-timey, too. And he keeps on looking around mysteriously. So you don't really know. What's this guy doing? And basically, Gordon figures out that the house wants to protect
2: what happens is the house says, "Hey, I've got an idea, guys. Read my diary that I wrote before I became a house."
1: The the house the house basically like opens doors and stuff to get the Secret Service agents to go different places.
2: Yes, and it leads them to a diary. So it's like my mother, the house. You remember the show, My Mother, the Car? No. With the great Jerry Van Dyke? He has a car, and it's his mother.
1: So did the was she a human woman who died and was? Her consciousness was put in a car. Yes, that's horrifying. Jesus Christ! Now, no,
2: if if you God forbid passed away early, I think we were even talking about this earlier. Uh, I should get an Anya mobile. Didn't we talk about this earlier? <laughs> and, and I said, I'm I would, hanging
1: <laughs> my head in shame. And
2: I said, Anya, what what would happen if I pressed the horn of the Anya mobile?
1: And I'd yell, get out of the way.
2: And what if I turned on the GPS system in the onion? Mobile? It would be me
1: giving you bad directions that got you lost. I'm a lucky man. And then if you uh, put on the radio, it would be me singing some of your favorite songs. <laughs> and then I told you, I looked at you dead in the eye and told you, that's a fucking stupid idea. And you were talking with your eyes misty, all enchanted by this ridiculous idea that you had. And you wanted to build, uh, like, a weird, like, one of those, like, Mast heads on the ship or whatever like those things that are in front of the ship like a mermaid you wanted a, a version of me on top of your car how are you gonna see the road <laughs> <laughs> just humiliating
2: see you you're, you're too caught up with rules and today don't you think that in your lifetime you're going to see cars they're entirely driven by robots so you don't even need to see the, the road
1: I, I don't think we're going to get there, but I don't know.
2: The robot car could, you know what, could look like Maybe the robot
1: you. would be so embarrassed to be driving a car like that it would just drive you straight off a bridge.
2: So you're saying the Mobile might be suicidal and erratic. It, yeah, it, it seems about right.
1: <laughs> Fuck you. Oh, my God. What would a Kevin Mobile be like? Would it just break down in the driveway, sit there resting for years, doing nothing?
2: It would get you where you need to go in a timely and responsible fashion.
1: After expelling quite a lot of gas.
2: <laughs> ah, what a wonderful vehicle it would be.
1: God. This, this episode.
2: So so the, the, guy's, the house is the guy's mother, and it reveals a diary. Like, hey hey hey, people in the future he the guy my son who went to prison he wasn't the guilty guy it was his it was his dad he was just trying to protect him and and at this moment uh the old man now a young man appears holding a gun on on the agents and they say hey this diary was almost certainly couldn't have been forged and has no corroborating evidence in it whatsoever it completely clears your name Let's just let's go to go to headquarters. And, We're agents
1: of the law, folks.
2: And and just have you a free man. And
1: uh, what are they going to say to like the fucking prosecutor? Oh, a ghost house who is also this guy's mom gave him an alibi. <laughs> That's going to work.
2: Well, the old man now a young man is having none of it. Uh, He pushes a button and suddenly Jim and Artie drop down into uh, a cell. And they hear noises in the wall behind them.
1: Horrifying noises. You take over. It's rats. It's fucking rats. There's rats in the walls. Thousands of them. Generations.
2: Again, much like our house. It's fucking
1: rats. God. God. When we were living in Brooklyn, we had a mouse at one point.
2: You called him Squeaks.
1: We called him Squeaks. Fuck you. We called him Squeaks. And it was really awful, and he, like, ate our bread. And then we, like, in in a move that I still can't believe worked, we put down these, like, mint packets we got from Home Depot, and he never came back. And I tell this story to other people. Other adults who live in apartments in New York City or live, you know, in houses around the world, and they don't believe it, but it worked. So thank you, Home Depot. Got rid of squeaks.
2: It wasn't just the mint packs. If you remember right, we laid down the mint packs, and then we recorded the first episode of this podcast.
1: And it never came around again. It it cringed so hard it died. (laughs) So if you guys are in need of extermination services, just blast blast us on your Amazon Echo or other assorted device and you will get rid of all the vermin with tastes from your home. <laughs> so, so now this guy has them in this cell and he reveals his whole master plan. And this scene feels like it goes on for like 40 minutes, but I, I was riveted. He, is, he explains that, yes, his dad may have been the one who did the really bad Simon Gertie Benedict Arnold shit in the service of reclaiming Texas to Mexico, which, given the fact that the Mexican-American War was, like, a very illegitimate, shitty war on our part, you know, it doesn't seem like it makes you a horrible person if you don't think it should have gone down like that, in my humble opinion. But
2: So you're saying... That uh, the crazy man is right. You kind of see things from his point of view.
1: That's something that kind of comes up in the show a few times, actually. Like, the show kind of takes the standard, like, oh, yeah, rah, rah, U.S. government's always right. But then, like, it kind of has, like, some sympathy for people who are more outsiders, which is really interesting.
2: And we know that the guy who wrote the episode uh, was uh, biracial.
1: He was a what he was he was uh, half white, half Samoan. What was his name? His name was, uh, John Newbel. Okay. And uh, and then the the producer was named Michael Garrison, and he was, he was a gay man, I believe, right? Yes. So, this the show seems at some points to have this inherent sympathy with outsiders and people who are. Not really being served by society, and I find that very interesting. And it even, I mean, the show's iconic villain is Doctor Lovelace, Doctor Miguelito Lovelace, who is a little person. He's played by an actor named Michael Dunn. Uh, he was an American actor and singer who was born with dwarfism, and he's he's an iconic villain. Like he's he's just he he that actor just brings such a fun energy to the role, and. I remember in the one where it was like the the night of the green terror, he makes a speech about not feeling like he fits in and like wanting to help the native Americans that I was like, wow, like the show really does seem to sympathize with that. So I, I find that kind of an odd little wrinkle, you know, even though the show's kind of ostensibly taking like a really conformist 1960s America line on, on a lot of things. Like sometimes it kind of, some things kind of slip through, which I find intriguing and unexpected.
2: But you, you, you have everybody hanging on the edge of their seats. What's the deal with these rats? What's
1: the deal with the fucking rats? Okay, yeah, the rats are going to eat Gordon and West alive. That sucks for them, but is that really a big geopolitical moment? Well, given how much they save the country, yes, probably. But beyond that, what what's the big deal? Well, I'll tell you what the big fucking deal is. It's the fucking ant farm on the table in front of them. What's in the ant farm? Ants. What do the ants have? The bubonic fucking plague. What have the ants given to the rats decades ago? Apparently the plague too. And apparently it's one of those things where I guess they had baby rats and baby rats and baby rats and they all have the ball plague. I don't know how science works, but whatever. The, the, the house is completely infected with the plague. And this guy, this villain, this prisoner who's now a young man, thanks to the ghost magic of the house, that is his mother, is going to release the rats and they're going to eat the Secret Service agents and then... The rats are going to go out and, I guess, destroy America.
2: At least destroy Texas. Because if we kill all the white people in Texas, the Mexicans can, can take it back over. That's how I understood the plot.
1: It's quite a plan. <laughs>
2: uh, so basically, at this point, our heroes have lost. There's very little they can do. so they start- And
1: that's the end of the episode. <laughs>
2: So they start pleading with the house for help,
1: and she's just crying, quote unquote.
2: <laughs> but she ends up freeing them.
1: No, they free themselves. Okay. She she was she was conflicted,
2: but she ends up making it possible for them to capture uh, her son. They take him out of the house, uh, where he becomes old and soon dies. That's, which,
1: it, 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 he becomes old and is, keeps talking to them and is staggering around. And and then, dies. and then collapses.
2: At which point Artie wakes up.
1: And you're like, oh, it's one of those stupid, it's all a dream episodes. I guess we knew that going into it, but that sucks.
2: So then the old man and uh, Artie and uh, Jim and the sheriff get on their horses and ride. And, oh, they come to a house. That's uh, out in the middle of the swamp. And they say, hey, why don't we stay here for the night? And it's the very same house that Artie had dreamed about. And Artie said, yeah, sure, I don't see any reason not to. And they all head into the house. Episode ends.
0: And
1: we were just sitting there, what the fuck? And my thinking was maybe they wanted to end it in a way where they could, like, save the sheriff and have him not die. But basically everything goes down identically otherwise. But otherwise, I don't know why Gordon didn't say something and be like, uh, no, let's not go in there. I veto it. No reason. Let's just move on.
2: It's also, it's like broad daylight, so you don't need to go into the house and camp for the night.
1: It was a really baffling, haunting ending.
2: The music starts playing. The episode ends.
1: What did you, what was your, what was your interpretation of the ending scene?
2: I don't know. They want to have their have their cake and eat it too. Where they, they, you see, you you, in in another type of show, you'd think well, they don't want to allow for supernatural things in their universe. But all sorts of crazy things happen in the Wild Wild West. All sorts.
1: People go through paintings. People have robots that far out are more advanced than what we have today. This is all in the eighteen hundreds. It's steampunk craziness, basically.
2: Steampunk craziness. Yeah. I didn't even go so I even go so far as to say it's a bit of swamp fever.
1: This show has swamp fever, and it's given that swamp fever to us. It's fucking contagious. I don't know why people didn't tell me about this show years ago because it's so insane, and I love it. You love it? I do.
2: You adore it?
1: Yes. I'm guilty. Guilty. Sentence me to 30 years for Simon Gurdy-esque activities. I'll still love it.
2: Uh, Well, unless you're crippled with swamp fever, are you ready to wrap this thing up?
1: I'd say that the night of the man-eating house is a horrific but satisfying feast.
2: Thanks for listening this week. I'd like to give a special thanks to Kevin T. Greenley, who's no relation to me. He's the guy that composed the great music for this podcast, and you can find him on the web at kevintg.com.
1: You can follow us on Twitter at mystery to me that's mystery underscore two underscore me underscore and at mystery to me podcast on facebook and instagram
2: and you can always send us recommendations and feedback of any kind at mystery to me podcast at gmail.com
1: we're not teens setting up hotmail accounts in the early 2000s so all of those spell out two as t-o
2: thanks, thanks so much, much for listening,
1: listening.